Good morning. Great to see you today. Let's pray as we begin. Father, Lord, uh, thank you for this opportunity uh, to just start our week in this way, to uh, open our hearts and minds to you as we begin a new cycle, so to speak, to allow your word and to allow worship to set the tone for us and uh, give us the, the strength, the energy, the mindset, the focus we need for this week. Lord, as we open your word now, I just pray that you would speak to us. This is the eternal words of God. This is the way, the truth, the life. It's life-giving. And as we allow it to direct and lead our lives, we find unbelievable blessing, promise, hope, and our lives make sense. And they become ordered and organized in such a way that we just experience peace and love and joy and our relationships are full, our purpose is evident. So many things that spring out of the words of God that you gave to us. So Lord, today as we think about something that um, might be a little different for us, Lord, help us to understand how important it is for it to be a part of our mindset, I pray. Bless this time and bless each person that's here, I pray, through the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd begin this way with this phrase. What you don't know does hurt you. Now, you've heard it different, haven't you? What you don't know doesn't hurt you, right? Come on, if you're in marriage, you've used that before, right? Oh, what they don't know won't hurt them, right? Um, or maybe it's like this. Um, this is another phrase in our, in our, in our culture. Ignorance is bliss, right? And we kind of have this idea like, you know, what you don't know, it doesn't hurt you. I'm going to protect them from, and I want to tell you today what I want to talk to you about just flips that on its head. What you don't know does hurt you. I kid you not, this was already mapped out, already done. And then I had something happen to me this morning that when I got to church and I sat down, I realized, oh my God goodness. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. And so I had to share in first service. This morning I get, I get up, I'm getting ready to leave the house. It's about quarter after six, right? I open the garage door and as I'm going to get in my car, I can see down the road, Orchard Lane, and I see this car driving kind of slow. Um, its lights seem like they're on bright. It's like the interior light is on. It's just a little bit erratic to me. And it hits me, you saw that car about four weeks ago, about the same time. And all of a sudden, I just go on overdrive. I begin to think like, what is going on? Somebody is driving through our peaceful neighborhood, quiet neighborhood. They must be casing out some joint. Like, it's dark. Why would you drive through the neighborhood at 6.15 in the morning? And so, you have to know me a little bit. Paranoia might run in my family. And um, I think, you know what? I'm not going anywhere. I don't care. I just get in my car. I back up and sit in the driveway. And would you know that two minutes later, the guy went around the loop and came right by my house, slow, driving down the road. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? So I call Ben. I'm like, man, I'm going to be late this morning. Uh, don't worry about me. I got to figure this out. I got to make sure that we don't have somebody driving through, casing out places, seeing if people are gone. You know, what, this is erratic. This is strange. I get in my car. I, I kid you not. I drive down over to whatever the road is next to it. And I'm kind of like creeping, you know, and I'm looking for this, this car. And I'm like, this and I finally see it pull out of Buckeye onto 424. And so I, I drive down there, and I, I kind of, but I'm trying to stay back a little bit, you know, like. <laughs> this is embarrassing, but it's true, all right? And so I kind of like get on 424, and I see this car whip into Twin Oaks. And I'm thinking, yep, that's exactly what, I mean, they are trying to figure it out, you know, the next place they're going to hit up. Because it was strange. It was erratic. 
and I see him kind of, and, and then I, you know, and I, I'm kind of unsure what to do, so I, and, and so I'm kind of like doing weird stuff too, and, and uh, then I see it whip down a road and come out and go into the other place in Twin Oaks and then do a, a UE around the mailbox, I'm like, oh. and I sit there for a while, <laughs> and finally the light comes up, right, the dawn, and I'm thinking, eh, I, I don't see him anymore, I'm going to drive on to church. Surely they're not that bold, you know. I get to church. I come in here, and Ben's sitting there. I'm like, Ben, dude, I don't know what's going on in our neighborhood. I don't know. You know, I'm thinking, do I need to call the police, or do I need to? Something weird is happening. This doesn't happen in our neighborhood. And um, I'm like, it's like this, it's like this black, uh, it's like a Toyota Corolla or a Camry kind of sedan car, and they keep kind of driving erratically through the neighborhood, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And Ben looks at me and goes, you mean the paper guy? <laughs> and in that moment, it hits me, oh, my goodness. So dumb. Like, but I'm like, my mind is like, I, I'm going to stop a crime here. You're going to put me in the paper. And I didn't think that. But like, I'm, this is like citizen's arrest type stuff. And it's the paper guy. And it, as soon as he said that, I thought, you are such an idiot. <laughs> Duh, that exactly makes sense. I don't get the paper. I don't think about that. And, and like, what, what I didn't know did hurt me. It caused me a bunch of anxiety. It wasted 20, 30 minutes of my day. It had me going down this rabbit trail of like, because I just didn't know, right? And what I want to talk to you about, this encounter that in the middle of this series, I really... Uh, and especially first service, it just confirmed to me, this is something we need to talk about, but it's something that we don't talk about very much. And um, I, I, I'm always aware that when I do talk about this, I have two thoughts. One, this is so crucial to our understanding of how our world is and works. And I don't talk about it enough. And two, when I do talk about this, People are going to sit there and stare at you like you got three eyes. Like, where is this guy from? What planet did he jump off of? And what is he going to say next? Because it has slipped out of the consciousness of Christians even today. Because we are so tied into our world around us. Physical presence around us our physical world that we easily miss this vital reality that exists all the time, ever-present, and is more real and true than even the physical. And so let's jump into this story. This is a unique story. It's an interesting story. Um, it's recorded in three Gospels. So a lot of times that's like, that's, you know, the feeding of 5,000, that was in all four. Uh, crucifixion, resurrection, Garden of Gethsemane, those are all four. Big deal stuff. Uh, the more it's recorded in those, you know, it's like, hey, you need to think about this story. This is, we're really trying to, to communicate this from Jesus' life. Uh, the context of this story is the night before, the night before, the disciples have left the west side of the Sea of Galilee, right? On the west side over here, they've left. Jesus has said, hey, you guys go on ahead. And, um, and uh, they have left, and they're sailing through the, the, the night, so to speak, right? And, um, or no, he's in the boat with them, and they're, they're sailing across, and they're headed to the eastern side of the lake. Um, and it's in, that, in the night that this, a storm kicks up on the Sea of Galilee, and that happens very often, and it comes swift, and it's violent. And all of a sudden, they're in the middle of this storm, right? And they are, they are fearful for their lives. And Jesus is sleeping in the front of the boat. And you remember that story, right? They wake him up like, don't you even care if we're going to die? And Jesus basically looks at the storm and tells it to calm down. And he shows tremendous authority. He throws God authority by making the weather submit to his words right and they have got to experience this and it's like wow 
There is something about this guy. It's just another confirmation. This is the son of God, right? It's in that context that that's happened. And uh, through the night, they've kind of, they got blown off course a little bit. They, they get back and they sail across to the eastern side. And right when the sun's coming up, they land on that eastern shore. And that's the context for this story that we're going to read. Math, or Mark, I'm going to pick Mark to use today. Mark chapter 5. They went across the lake to the region of the garrisons. Basically, this is not a Jewish uh, region. This is uh, the town of, uh, of um, Gerasa. And so it's kind of called the region of the Gerasenes, obviously. And so they are, they, are, they are going to just land in this place. I don't know why they were there. They didn't, obviously you'll see from the story, they didn't even stay. But they were just moving away from crowds and moving across to the eastern side. Obviously, I believe that the story, this story was the reason. They land at dawn here in a non-Jewish region. And you'll see that in a little bit in the story. When Jesus gets out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Okay, so what in the world is a man with an impure spirit? And we figure out later on down in the story, in verse 18, that this man, the impure spirit, was this idea of a man who was demon-possessed. Okay? A man who was demon-possessed comes from the tombs to meet them. Uh, you got to remember... <laughs> um, not only probably are the disciples, they're all a bunch of Jewish boys, right? Jewish people, you know what they avoid? Cemeteries. They don't ever go to cemeteries. Uh, they always thought that, you know, the, the dead that's unclean, uh, if, I, if I'm around the dead, I need to clean myself up. It, it, we, we talk about cemeteries being spooky, and, and that's true, right? It seems like. But they, they just avoid it at all. And so they're probably on edge anyway. They're getting off the boat. They see that in the countryside, what they did in those days was they would, uh, they would put tombs into the side of hills, right? Jesus, when he was in a tomb, it was in the side of a hill, Golgotha. And, he, and, and, and so they're aware of that as they come up. So they're probably a little bit on edge anyway because they're not around the dead. They just avoid that, right? And out of this, this kind of land on the shore, oh, there's, there's a graveyard, and there's a man coming to them. They're just a little bit on edge. And then compound the fact that this man uh, comes to him, and Matthew tells him that he must have come in a way that was menacing. Because it says that everybody avoided this particular shore. Because this man, and actually Matthew says there was two men, they would come and they were violent. They were violent people. They were menacing. They were intimidating. They would even come after you. And so the context of this story is they land, they're in an, an unsettling place, and there's a man who's coming in a way that it's obviously not right. Something's off here. And this isn't their homeland. This is, this is not their country. And this man lived in the tombs, Mark would tell us. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. I'm going to walk through this story again as we understand what it means for us, the implications. But in reality, this man who is always men menacing, who is violent, who is a sociopath, who is deviant, who can't be around people, who people run when they see him, who has uh, had to live in seclusion, basically, um, and is used to pushing his way around. When he sees Jesus, he hits the deck, so to speak. He's on his knees like this, and he's begging Jesus not to torture him. Jesus says to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. And Jesus asks him, what is, what is your name? 
And the man replies, my name is Legion. Now, that's not a name, okay? Um, and we, we have a lot of weird names today, right? You always try to be unique with your kids, and then when you name your kid, like, then you, like, we thought Keegan was so unique, and then we unique, and then we had Keegan, and then we met, like, ten Keegans, right? And Sage, uh, uh, you know, um, Legion's not a name, okay? Um, it's basically the demon... The, the, the demon speaking out of this man saying, we are legion. Legion is a military term, a Roman military term for a division of the military. It's a legion. It's thousands of men, up to 6,000 men. And what this, this, is, this, this, this man and the demons in him are saying, listen, we are legion. There are thousand, there is thousands of demons that exist in this body. To which Jesus, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Mark, or I mean Matthew and Luke give us a little more color, a little more muscle, so to speak, to the skeleton of this story. And they tell us that they begged him not to torture them. And basically what they were saying was, uh, don't throw us into the pit. This is remarkable. It is, and Matthew says that the, that the man said, our name is Legion, we are many. Don't torture us. Don't throw us into the pit over the abyss. For it is not our appointed time. That's what was said. And basically what we understand, the demons understand the most real present reality theology about who Jesus is. They realize that this is the Son of God. They get who He is. They know, and they know that He has always promised that at the appointed time, He will take them and throw them into a lake of fire, the lake of fire. And they are begging Him right now, Jesus I mean, it's not the end of the world yet. Why? It's not our appointed time. Don't throw us into the pit. It's remarkable what they understand about who Jesus is. Um, it's what James says, that the demons know the truth and tremble. The demons have perfect theology. <laughs> we have a lot of different theological systems, don't we? We have Methodists, we have Nazarenes, we have Baptists, we have Pentecostals, we have Lutherans, we have Catholics, all these different theologies. Guess what? The demons have perfect theology. They see clearly and understand fully who Jesus is. And they are begging him right now, don't throw us into the pit. Let us go somewhere else. Let us invade or dwell in some other living creature. We read the story, says a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And again, a remarkable display of the authority of Jesus Christ. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came and went into the pigs. 2,000 in number. Again, this is not a Jewish land, because guess what doesn't happen in Israel? Herds of pigs, right? No way. It's an unclean animal. They don't eat it, don't touch it, don't want anything to do with it. And the legion of demons invade the pigs, and they rush down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. I read where somebody referred to this as uh, suicide. Um, I don't know. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they went down to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed. And in his right mind, the word Sophronio is a sane, sensible, he's in control now. This man has not been in control of his life for years, for a long time. And he is in control He's sane. He's sensible. And they were what? Afraid. Terrified. Uh, the, the word phobeo or phobia. 
they are absolutely terrified. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the man and told them about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I have in my notes here, this is the first preacher that Jesus sends out. Boy, what a heritage, right? Sociopath, deranged maniac becomes the first preacher that Jesus sends out. And so where I want to land today and in this encounter, it's pivotal pivotal in understanding what is going on in this life. What are there, what what do I need to understand about this world? Um, I think this story reminds us of a vital core truth to our existence. I would remind you of this. John said this, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. In this phrase, the reason the Son of God appeared was to do what? Destroy the devil's work. The reason he came was to destroy the devil's work. Think about the whole genesis of the human story. The whole beginning. You have God, you have two humans, and you have who else present? The devil himself in the creature of a serpent is visible, present, active, at the beginning of man's story. As you begin to read through, you would see that the scriptures talk about this reality of a devil, Satan. Jesus, obviously, in his story, you read just four chapters into Matthew, and you have this setting where Jesus is is led by the Spirit into into the wilderness, and for 40 days is tempted by the devil and has this ongoing, present conversation with the devil. If you read through the New Testament, and what I'm sharing with you today, I'm just, I know, like, we don't think about this. We we live in a, so often in a, just a base existence. And some of you are looking at me like, oh my goodness. What has he been drinking this week? Or what has he been doing this week, right? It's so far from our, our conscious so often. But if you and I believe the scriptures are true, and if you don't believe the scriptures are true, then you probably come to the wrong place. Because everything we do is based on the authority, the reliability, of God's word. That's what this whole organization, the church is built on, God's word. And God's word clearly presents the reality, the existence of an adversary to this world and the human beings who live in this world called the devil, the fallen angel who becomes the evil one. This isn't some kind of movie stuff. This isn't Halloween where you just put on a, you know, horns and a red and a pitchfork. This is, a, this is something that is at the core of what is happening here on this earth. And I thank God, I pray God so often, Lord, help me to live in the real reality. Help me not to miss the fact, the pull, the unseen forces that exist in this world that are trying and i'll get into that in a minute but i am telling you today that the story of scripture is the story of a real devil i mean think about through the old testament job the earliest the earliest book in the whole old testament is the book of job job it starts with the story of what god and satan having a conversation And Job's life is totally impacted by this conversation. God's like, hey, he's bragging on Job. Hey, man, 
you see my boy Job? Yeah, but the only reason why he follows you is because you've given him all this material wealth. I don't think so. I think he follows me because he loves me. No, I, I don't think so. Okay, I'll let you have at him. Take everything from him. I'll bet you he still follows me. And Job plays out for 30-something chapters this because of this reality, this conversation, this interference in the life of Job by Satan. Think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, when he te- or 12, when he testifies to the reality. He said, I had a... Uh, 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 I begged the Lord, I had this messenger from who? Satan. Who came into my life and created this thorn in my flesh. Paul said, I live every day being annoyed, being affected, being interfered in my life by Satan through this thorn in the flesh. Remember what Peter said, or Jesus said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. The reality is, is there is a devil that exists in this world. And he has become the adversary to all human life. Are you still with me? No, I didn't think so. I guess I'm the weird guy. See, we, 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 we've moved so far from understanding the, the world as it is. I, I'm talking to myself, too. Like, do I live week in, week out, in knowing this reality, seeing this reality? What implications does it have for my life, knowing that this exists and what the Scriptures present and what Jesus just lived out and shared and showed? This is real. This is not made up. This is not some kind of allegory or metaphor. This is real. It's existing in our world today. And how conscious of it am I? And if I'm not conscious of it, then man, I'm just like the person that the thing's going on and I'm not even seeing it. And that is affecting me. And so let's just look at the story. I I want you to notice some things I think that we can take from this one is darkness is powerful this man at one time was a normal guy he was a normal kid he grew up uh, i'm sure the kids he went to school with knew him as a normal person it's kind of like you know if you grew up with um jeffrey dahmer we all know jeffrey dahmer is this monster right people who went to junior high with jeffrey dahmer don't, don't see him as a monster, so to speak. They know the other side of the coin. He was normal at one time, or he was not participating in this evil, right? People, this guy was normal at one time. But over his years, evidently, just because of the pagan religions that he gave himself to and the worshiping of things that were dark and, and false and probably his sinful behaviors just created this avenue for evil to... to uh, be introduced into his life and somewhere along the way he just began to allow that to overtake him and overwhelm him until he becomes a man that is literally possessed by evil thousands of demons and we see how powerful this darkness is it takes a normal person and absolutely makes him a psychopath maniac deranged in Luke it says that this man lives in this existence among the dead. He's violent. He's unhinged. He's crazy. Luke tells us that he is naked. It says that he has not had clothes for a long time. And why Luke seems to refer to that is the following implication is that the, the reason why there's a referring to nakedness is that there was probably a sexual perversion, a sexual deviance to this guy too. The devils had, the demons had impacted him in such a way that he was probably sexually deviant. I mean, this is, this is federal penitentiary level five kind of person, right? Lock him up, solitary. It's like, um, what's that movie? They put the mask on the guy. Silence of the Lambs. That's this kind of character. In fact, it says, it, we just see the, 
the power of darkness to create this kind of person who has unbelievable strength. It says that they tried to chain him. The town, the people, multiple, they've tried to bind him. They would bind him then. And that day, people who were, uh, I call them Looney Tunes, but, you know, like, who, have, who are mental or uh, become uh, unhinged, they would restrain them. They didn't have padded cells or mental institutions. They had to just restrain him. And, and he breaks it every time. Unnatural strength. What does that come from? It comes from the power of evil and darkness in him to just break metal iron chains. And the story is that he would just wander the deserts and the mountains naked, violent, unhinged. And I think in the story, it reminds us of the power of darkness. This is like a vivid illustration of evil that exists in the unseen that becomes incarnated into a person. And this is what it looks like. And it's awful. And it's powerful. And it's dark. 52 times in Scripture, Satan is called, is, is referred to as Satan, an adversary. 35 times he's called devil, which means a slanderer. He is referred to in Scripture as an old serpent, a great dragon, a roaring lion, the evil one, a tempter, an accuser. Jesus said in John that Satan is a murderer and a liar. In fact, Ephesians would tell us that he is a crafty person who, who desires, as John says, to rob, steal, and destroy every human life. To bind it up, to cause it to destroy itself. That's his mission. That's what he's about. That's what he's always been about. And this is a powerful, powerful reality in our world. He has... He has sowed lies into this world in such an extreme way that the systems of this world are deceiving. They promise emptiness. They cause the human beings of this world to run after pursuits and things that are all end up being self-serving and unsatisfying and don't bring about peace, joy. He has created religious systems that promise if you do this, this, and this, you will make peace with God and you will outweigh the good and the bad. And, and, you'll, and it, all it has done is one thing, what he's always done since the Garden of Eden. He has caused mankind to not see the goodness of God and to not trust in the goodness of God and to pursue its own way and his agenda. Right? Still looking at me like I'm, I'm still trying to decide whether you're going to talk to me after church or not. We don't talk about this much, do we? I don't talk about this much. And yet it's all through Scripture. All through Scripture. And we need to be reminded just how powerful darkness is that, that is present in our world. The second thing I noticed from the story is authority belongs to Jesus. Legion, thousands of demons the minute they come in contact with Jesus, the word is bow. It's basically the prostate word to like prostrate, not prostate. There you go. There was my mistake today. They fall. The power of Jesus Christ makes this powerful darkness submit immediately. And they begin to beg they realize who is the authority in this world. Please don't torture us. Please don't throw us into the abyss. They understand what is going to happen with them. I was just reading in Mark before that. You read this story. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. There is no doubt in the spiritual realm that we live in as spirit beings. You realize that your flesh is going to decay and you're going to be laid in the ground, but something lives forever, your spirit. And in that world, the authority, the authority over all things is Jesus Christ. And when demons are confronted with Jesus, they bow to him, they call him the most high God, the sovereign God of all the universe. This is who Jesus is. 
authority belongs to Jesus. But I also notice this. This is a reality we would rather avoid. What happens when the town shows up after this story? The pigs run off into the... Um, you would think that they'd be like, wow, this is incredible. This guy was a menace to society. He's fine. Things are, can be a little bit more healthy and safe around here. Mm -mm. Hey, I don't want anything to do with that. Jesus, get out of here. Even though you did this great thing, get out of here. Because the natural tendency of us as humans is to shrink back from the spiritual realities. We want to avoid them. Because we can't touch it. We can't see it. We avoid it. And they literally ask Jesus to leave, and he leaves. After he has done an unbelievably miraculous thing. Now, probably the owners of the herd were not thrilled with Jesus. Right? They just lost 2,000 um, uh, 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 head of livestock. They took a hit that year. And I don't know if they had insurance then. They probably weren't thrilled. They probably were like, hey, yeah, get out of here, man, before you start wrecking anything else. But the people were terrified because that is what we naturally do as human beings. We avoid the spiritual reality. Because often we are so living in the physical. And our lives are consumed by what I eat, by what I wear, by what I possess. And I just want to avoid the whole other thing. This is what I need for you to understand. This is what's so important today. This is what the scriptures tell us. For though we live in this world, this physical world, as Christians, we understand that the way that this world is lived out and the victory that we have, the way we wage war, we don't wage it as the world does. There is something bigger going on here. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they, are, they have divine power to demolish strongholds to demolish arguments and pretensions it sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ basically the idea is that we have been delivered out of this kingdom of darkness Jesus said that the ruler of this world has been judged the ruler of this world has his day coming but he is still the ruler of this world and as his children, we have been brought out of the systems and been brought out of the captivity of this world into a new life, a new lifestyle, a new reality as children of God. Colossians says we have been uh, rescued, so to speak, out of the kingdom of darkness. And what happened in that kingdom of darkness is we were, we were captive in our minds to wrong views, wrong thinking. These lying, deceptive ideologies that raise itself up against the true knowledge of God. We are part of a daring rescue story. This is, this is movie stuff. But the story of this world, the reality is that the enemy, the adversary, is intent on trying to recapture, to bind, to create strongholds in our minds that then create strongholds in our life. And he says the battleground is that he is trying to captivate your thinking first and then your behaviors that follow your thinking. That is where this war is waged. And just as he did in Eve's heart and Eve's mind and then Adam's heart and Adam's mind, he deceived them and tricked them into not believing in, trusting in the goodness, provision, plan of God. He is continually trying to do that as the angel of light, the, the, uh, the scriptures present him. This powerful foe and adversary is intent on destroying, robbing, and stealing every human being's life, trying to recapture those who have moved Moved out of the kingdom of darkness and trying to keep bound those who are bound in this kingdom of darkness. Are you still with me? Please, please get this. I'm not a Star Wars guy or some kind of thing like that. But this is real. This is true. And what it tells us 
is that we are not Switzerland. We don't get to be neutral in this war that is taking place in this world between God and the adversary for the hearts and souls of men. We don't get to just say, ah, that's a good, I'm gonna get some popcorn and watch this go on. I'm neutral, man, I'm Switzerland, you know? Like, I'm not gonna get involved. Guess what? There are two kingdoms in this world and you exist in one of those kingdoms. And there is a war for your soul that is happening on a daily basis. And the adversary, the devil, Satan, who whatever kind of phrase or name he has been given that that most identifies to you, is seeking to do one thing, to cause you to destroy your life, to make awful decisions that destroy your relationships, that destroy your quality of life, that cause you to move from a good, providing God who wants to lead your life in blessing and promise and hope. He is intent on trying to wreck that. That is why in Ephesians chapter 6 it says this, Finally, after everything he said in Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the whole armor of God so that you might stand against the devil's schemes. For, we're, for our struggle, for we wrestle not, is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. This word wrestle here, for we struggle, it's the Roman word, or it, it pictures the Roman idea of wrestling back then. And it wasn't like, hey, we're going to have a wrestling tournament on Saturday, and, and uh, you know, uh, this is your weight class, and you're going to wrestle through, and if you lose, you can wrestle back, and hey, you might get to stand on the podium, you might win first place, a good, good wrestling tournament. No, the wrestling in Roman days was this, two guys got in a ring, and they wrestled, and they tried to come to a point where one would try to get his hands on the neck of another and to pin him down. And the idea was that if he could get his shoulders down, but then also his head and if his head rested on the ground for a certain amount of time, then he was declared as someone who needed to be executed. He was not worthy. But if you could keep your head up, even if your shoulders were pinned, you could live to fight another day. It was entertainment to the Romans, but it was a sport of life and death. And that's what he uses here. For we struggle, our struggle is a struggle of life and death, of existence against this adversary that seeks to destroy our lives. And he does that. Sometimes he comes as a roaring lion. He oppresses you. Sometimes he throws circumstances in your life that are so trying, so difficult. He's trying to get you to doubt and quit and give up. Sometimes he comes as an angel of light to deceive and to trick He's always lying, always promising a pot of gold at the rainbow, and it never exists because it can only exist in a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's where purpose, meaning, fulfillment in my life happens. And then this world, this good world that God created for me to live in a sense of this is ordered, it makes sense. I enjoy in the proper way what God has given to me and my relationships are so good and all this, he is trying to distort that all the time. That's why Jesus said this in his prayer. When you pray, pray this. And how did he finish that prayer? Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from what? the evil one. He wants us to live daily understanding the warfare that's being raised for our soul. But you know what he's promised? That even though this enemy is powerful, more powerful than us, that if we belong to Jesus, all authority belongs to Jesus. That's why Jesus said when he ascended, all authority in heaven and earth is mine. And the spiritual adversary that you have, that if you are in me, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that's why in this Ephesians, when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God, it simply says this, would you just stand? And if you'll stand, 
If you'll resist the devil, I will strengthen you and I will give you victory. I will give you the equipment you need to be victorious, the shield of faith, the helmet, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, all those things. I'll equip you to have victory if you're willing to engage and say, I'm not giving up, I'm not turning away, I'm not giving in. I believe in the spiritual warfare for my soul. I need to stand for Jesus Christ and I need to access Jesus Christ, and I need to trust in Jesus Christ. And if I'll do that, the promise is always this, engaging will result in winning every time. That's why he says, when you pray, deliver me from the evil one. He says, as you pray that, I am delivering you from the schemes, from the lies, from the deception the enemy wants to sow into your life to try to mess your life up, to destroy it. And so often, really just to get us to live at a mediocre level of living. To not experience the blessing and power and purpose that God always intended for us. He can just lull us to sleep, so to speak, to be satisfied with lesser things, with base things with what I eat and what I wear. I've never done a funeral of someone who's really, 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 everybody's been happy about what they ended up possessing. You know what they care about? The relationships they had, the quality of life they experienced that was outside of what they possessed. Because life exists in something bigger than the physical realm. And we have an advocate against our spiritual adversary. That is Jesus Christ who has all authority. He simply calls us to continue day by day to trust in him, to lean on him, to look to him, to give our lives to him. And he promises victory over the snares, the schemes, the plans of our adversary. I'm really appreciative for you guys staying with me. I went long today. But this is so important for us to understand. And I just ask you, are you aware of the war that rages for your soul? Do you sense it? Do you know it? And if not, has Satan simply lulled you to sleep into living at a level, a mediocre level? And he's fine. As long as I can get you satisfied with lesser things, I don't really need to be oppressive. Are you realizing the vast potential God has for your life and the relationship he wants to have with you and the realization that in him, he gives you victory in every way. Victory over your sin, but victory from your adversary, the enemy of your soul. Would you stand this morning? I just want to sing this as we go. Would you just allow these few moments, this might be the, the most important two minutes of your week. This might be the most important two minutes of your life. Will you just allow the words of this song to sink deep within the depths of your soul? Will you take it to heart and realize that I know you didn't enlist, so to speak, and maybe you didn't want to be in this warfare, but you are. As a human being, you're, you're in. And would you allow the source of victory, the one who gives you overpowering grace, would you allow him to be who you run to, who you trust in, who you lean hard on? Let's sing. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, you silence fear. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Jesus, Jesus, your name is a lie that the shadows can't deny. Your name cannot be overcome. Yes, your name.
Father, we see the effects of evil everywhere, the darkness that exists in our world and even in our communities. We see the darkness of drugs and alcoholism and damage, torn relationships, bitterness, all those things that the enemy of our soul has sown into hearts and minds a hopelessness, a bitterness, a resentment. He is always working. Not only do we struggle in the flesh following you, but then we have an adversary and people are overcome by his lies, his schemes. Father, for us, he's still working to try to work in our lives to cause us not to trust and follow your good plan. And Lord, help us to remember from this story that all authority is yours. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And create an awareness in our heart to see the schemes of the devil in our own life, to be protected from those things, to be confident in your ability to give us the way that we should take and the life that we can live. Make this so, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great day.